Hi, everybody. This is Greg. And before we start the podcast, I want to give a quick shout out to two of our sponsors. The first is a company very close to my heart, WNR Studios. They're the makers of the Cloud Agent Suite. Their flagship product, Cloud CMA, is used by more than 400,000 real estate professionals across the country. They recently announced reaching a new milestone of publishing over 10 million CMAs. That's a lot. Cloud MLX, their front-end of choice solution, recently won Inman News' Most Innovative Technology Award and has crossed over 200,000 MLS members under site license. That's a lot, too. You can find out more at cloudagentsuite.com. Also, I'm very excited to announce The Red Dot, a premium monthly report from the notorious one, Rob Hahn. The Red Dot is a monthly subscription providing an in-depth report focusing on a single key issue each month. Each issue will have an executive summary, a research and analysis, and more importantly, action items. The first report was amazing. I, I really mean that. It was on uh, photos and licensing and such. And this is money well spent if you are in any uh, leadership role in organized real estate. And again, I really love the way this is laid out because with the executive summary, you can really get a quick hit of what this report is about. Later on, you can come back to the research analysis, and then you can have some action items to to bring to your board or your, your company. Anyway, please sign up at notorious-rob.com forward slash premium. I'll put a link to both sponsors in the show notes. Also, if we have any listeners that are interested in sponsoring the Industry Relations Podcast, please drop me a line at gregrobertson at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and now on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Industry Relations with Rob and Greg. This is your co-host, Rob Hahn, fresh out of having my throat cut open by uh, licensed doctors. On the other line, we have Greg, your other co-host. Greg, are you there? Hello, Rob. (laughs) God, it's been so long. It's been so long. (laughs) If I can say this, I I didn't think there would be any way that your voice could be sexier. But since the surgery, I think you've reached another level of sexiness here. You could be like the new Quavo man or something. I I asked my doctor because he said uh, one of the potential side effects of the surgery, your voice could change. And I'm like, hey, if you could make me sound like Sean Connery or something, I'd be okay with that. Yeah. So I don't know if, if you managed. Yeah. <laughs> I, my understanding though is like, there's no way that a surgeon could give me a, like a Scottish accent. I don't think that's one of the things that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> so how the hell have you been? How are you? It's been it's just so busy, long. man. Just yeah. like you. I mean, just really, really busy. You know, we've got just a lot of initiatives going on at the company. And then, you mm-hmm. know, people having vacations, just a, the normal summer bullshit. So, right. you know, right, right. that kind of stuff. But I I've mean, been hearing from a lot of our listeners and they've been jonesing for a new episode. So, yes, I told them that I was going to record with you last week and we couldn't make that happen for various reasons. So, I'm hoping that we get a couple recordings in today that we can share later on. That would be great. And get out there to our growing fan base. I'm always interested or stunned to find out who actually <laughs> listens to our gratified things gratified gratified we are so yeah. grateful like, for people yeah. who spend time with us <laughs> yeah yeah but there is a, a lot to talk about and i think the topic du jour i think to me is really we've talked about it in the sense of zillow before and mm-hmm. some others but i think just kind of diving into the whole i buyer for lack of a better moniker um <laughs> Is I a feel good like subject. I feel like you know we should try to record like 
maybe a couple of weeks after I send you my red dot report because <laughs> you know right. that was actually literally the topic for August. No, um, it was it was so a great it was a great one mind. too. It was a great one too. So thank um, you. All right, so let's get into it. Yeah, let's talk right. about iBuyers. Again, it's going to be like, so it's fresh in my mind. I'm going to reference this a lot, but yeah. I think the way that you frame this is so smart in the sense that that the industry is always looking for a boogeyman, right? Right. And really, this isn't really about Wall Street coming in and disintermediating the agent and everything else. This is really just always about and has always been about fixing the experience of buying and selling a home. Right. Right. And I, mean, I wrote a line. post about that and it was kind of motivated by my whole research you know, that I was doing around the whole iBuyer thing. So, I mean, my basic thesis as I put out in the August report is we're really misunderstanding this whole iBuyer phenomenon, right? And as a matter of fact, I think we could probably generalize. It's not just iBuyers, it's everything. It's discounters, it's you know, new models, it's everything. Good point. Where Good point. You know, we in the industry like to think of it sort of almost like Look, all this uh, Wall Street money's flowing in, or there's these like smart tech guys come out of Silicon Valley, and they're trying to disintermediate us, and they're trying to screw us over, et cetera, et cetera. And what I realized is like, it's really not, right? That in a real way, this is all just because the consumer experience sucks ass, right? <laughs> like, this is what I wrote. I remember this is a line you know, from the blog post where I said, it's not like anybody ever goes through either selling a house or buying a house. And, you know, does like, wow, that was awesome. I can't wait to do that again. Like, nobody does that, right? Even if it goes really smooth, you know, you have a great realtor who does a great job for you. Nobody's like, this was great. You know, no one's like, I'm excited to do that again. Everyone's just like relieved and, oh my God, I can't believe it's over. And, you know, like the nightmare is over, right? Like, I can go on with my life. So, yeah, I mean, that was a big part of, I think, my sort of aha, you know, that the process sucks. And for whatever reason, you know, we in the industry really haven't done a lot of thinking around like how to change that process, how to improve that process. What we've done instead is sort of try to help people cope with the crappy process, if that makes sense. Whereas the iBuyers have come in and said, the process sucks, let's try and actually change the process. And I think that's the huge difference, right? And that's my general thesis about it. And what do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you weren't at the Inman conference, but they had like a little panel on there. One of the one of the smartest guys on here besides you talking about this stuff is Mike Delpree. He does the Delpree, yeah. You know, Delpree, no, yeah. he's he awesome. He was on this panel and they're all, you know, there's a lot of naysayers in the audience and asking questions and they're all focusing on like, oh, it's so expensive and they're losing money out, you know, they're not making enough money or they're losing money. And he just came out and said it, says, listen, you guys, Wall Street, Silicon Valley is prepared to do that. What they are searching for is the experience. They're focusing right. on the experience. And once they focus and nail that experience, they're going to make everything else work out. But right, right. now, it's early days and you know they want to find what is that right experience. It's so right on, exactly what you're saying, where right. it's not about who's got the biggest discount. It's going to be what is that process? What is that experience like? And the person, the company, whoever that figures out that better experience is going to win. I think you're right. The thing that I'm sort of thinking about now is you know consumer experience can be varied, right? Like not every hotel has to be the Four Seasons. Correct. You know, yeah. uh, no, not every shopping experience has to be Neiman Marcus. But if so, the cost, the value proposition, all of it kind of gets wrapped up into experience. Like, look, I mean, I go to Walmart. I'm a big fan of Walmart. I know I'm going to have a very different experience when I go to Walmart you know, than when I go to even Target, you know, which is supposed to be a low cost 
operator, but it's a different experience. So it's the whole totality of it. And I feel like we have a difficult time in the industry thinking in those terms. You know, we just kind of get focused on kind of what can we do? So like, give me an example. Like when I published that blog post, you know, a lot of the agents, a lot of brokers were commenting saying things like, that's really what I focus on, right? You know, treating these clients like my family, really care about their experience, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, yeah, no, that's true. And I agree with you. And having worked with great realtors, I know like that part of the experience is awesome, but they can't help the other parts of the experience that suck. They don't control appraisal, right? They don't control mortgage, mortgage. process. They don't control that, you know? And instead of thinking about like the totality of it and asking, what if anything is there that we maybe collectively can do about that? I feel like what the industry tends to do is just like really focus, hyper focus on like what I can handle. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's almost like like a football team, you know, like look, just focus on your job, right? Just really focus and do your job as best as you can. I think that's wonderful, but it does leave us kind of vulnerable. I think when sort of the visionary types come along and they sort of ask big picture questions like, what could we do to make this experience just the entire thing better? And that's what iBuyers have done, right? They, at least as far as sellers go, what they've said is, look, if we just buy your house for cash, we've eliminated like 95% of the hassle. And they're figuring it out and the pricing isn't quite where things need to be. But I think that's sort of the questions they're asking. So if there's a takeaway for it, for anyone, maybe more for the larger organizations, you know, the Realogies, the KWs, the Remaxes, you know, the NAR, you know, large MLSs, like maybe for them to start thinking about the totality of the experience and they're asking how that entire thing could be changed and then maybe asking what can I do about that overall change, if that makes any sense. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, we've seen this before. As you write and some other stuff I've read, it's the boogeyman, the boogeyman. It's right. coming, it's coming. It clouds the vision. It makes everybody go kind of crazy. Right. They're not able to like step back and go, okay, what do I have that they want mm -hmm. in order to accomplish their goal? And how can I leverage that? It could be monetization. It could be control. It could be a lot of things, right? But right. instead of just being blinded, and it's tough. It's tough for, in my field, for you know MLSs and associations to kind of, because they get these knee-jerk reactions from the agents. Those are the people they kind of work for. It clouds everything and they have to make these kind of snap decisions here. I mean, there's a lot of leaders out there that are a bit more reflective on this stuff, but it's tough when the, when the local is. members are just, if they hear the word Zillow, it's just like they don't hear <laughs> anything after that. Or iBuyer, they just right. roll their eyes thinking, oh, when the market changes, this is all going away. No, man, it's actually going to get bigger if you think about it. So right. I've just seen it happen so many times. It's, it's just no, frustrating. It's, like, let's mention it, Greg. You know what's kind of funny is like- do the, even the MLS and associations think of things holistically, right? Meaning, so, you know, the point of the whole iBuyer report, you know, point of like kind of what I think about it is this notion that we tend not to think about the totality of the consumer experience. Okay, fine. You're a broker, you're a franchise, you're an MLS, you're an association. Like, do they think about totality of the agent's experience? You know, like their customers. They're not dealing with consumers necessarily, but should an MLS, should an association sort of look at the total customer experience of their customers, you know, sort of what their life is like in total, instead of just looking at kind of my piece of it. And then maybe ask some questions about that. I mean, is that 
possible, do you think? Yeah, that's tough. I mean, I, I remember in an interview I did with Danae from CMLS where she talked about this, about exactly what you're talking about, how you know she thought part of her rules was thinking that way, like you right. know how buying a home was this and that. And I'm like, man, that's not your job. I mean, your right. job is to focus and bring forward the MLS industry. And to me, an MLS exec's job is to you know, help his constituents like the brokers and agents. And primarily those brokers and agents are more of the traditional set. And I think, unfortunately, they're the ones that feel the most threatened by all this stuff because I don't think they've opened their minds enough to realize. So I don't know if it's for them, the MLS exec or the association exec to think holistically about the consumer experience. But I think it's their job to kind of like educate their members about, okay, well, let's look at this thing broadly. And maybe I'm saying the same thing you are, but most of the times those jobs are very political in nature. So right. they have to right. walk a fine line for sure. Well, what does it look like if, say, you know, Bob Goldberg, right? Or Danae or Art Carter, if those people just sat and like really thought about the overall holistic experience of what it's like to be a realtor in 2018, from the moment you get up to your day-to-day activities to, you know, what it's like, the uncertainty, the insecurity, all of it, like just to think about the whole total experience of it, and then sort of say, what, if anything, could be changed, right, to remove some of the pain? What happens if the industry, the inward facing, so we're really talking, you know, about brokers, we're talking about franchises, MLS and associations, if they started thinking more like an iBuyer as it comes to their customers, which are the agents, right? Instead of thinking about the consumer, fine, let the consumer be somebody else's problem for now. They're servicing, they're making money from realtors, they're making money from brokers. Like, What happens if they take this sort of holistic approach that the iBuyers have vis-a-vis consumers? Like, Is there anything that they could do that would be similar in impact to an iBuyer going in and say, we're just going to pay cash for your house? Do you know what I'm saying? Like Something that could remove like half the pain right away. Is there anything right. like that? I'm just trying to think if I'm a broker and I've got, you know, let's say 12 offices and I've been doing it for most of my life, am I going to accept business advice from the guy who runs my MLS? Yeah, that's a good I, point. Probably that's, not. Yeah. you know, I, yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, you know, a lot of times the MLS is almost the policeman in that right. thing. And right. he looks at somebody thwarting what the progress right. the brokers want to do. So getting them to get advice from them is a tough thing, right? I mean, right. you know, but just riffing a bit about what you're saying, could, for instance, NAR partner with a large financial institution mm-hmm. and be the bank? You know, if yeah. they look at the whole process and say, you know what, this iBuyer movement is real and we've now partnered with JP Morgan, we're going to be the bank to fund these types of transactions, right? right. And boom, right. there you go. Right. And that's something you know, I frankly like put that out as like a recommendation. If you're a large enough brokerage, if you're a large enough national franchise, if you're NAR, if you're whoever, I mean, you need to at least take a look at that. I mean, now, you got to you know, think the- like Realogy. I mean, these guys are geniuses at debt, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, they have access they, to capital. Yeah, There's they, no doubt they about funded that. their whole thing based on what was it, um, Apollo or Bain or yeah, somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they understand how to manage debt, right? So yeah. in one night, they could put a process together where every CMA goes out there, also is linked to a their own internal banking system, right? And boom, yeah. now, they're, now they're iBuyer space. Boom. I'll tell you what. I mean, this would be an interesting place for us to chat about this a little bit. This show in particular would have been really cool to have some guests on. Because one of the things that I did run across is 
with this iBuyer thing kind of here to stay, that's how I view it. I think it's here to stay. I don't think it's a blip. I don't think this is a house flipper deal. I think this is a consumer convenience issue, which means it's here to stay. One of the things that's really tricky is that whole fiduciary duty and representation, like how you're supposed to skirt that. You know, Glenn Kelman talked about it in the Q1 report, you know, where he talks about it's really awkward, right? You're going in and you want to say, just list your home with me. Let me be your fiduciary, help you get the most money for your house. But on the other hand, let me buy your house, right? So there's a weird conflict of interest that happens there. Well, that's like, that's just dual agency, you know, as a whole topic. It's not just this though, right? No, it's not just this, but this really brings it up, right? In other words, it's one thing if you have this fund, if you don't have it, if you have no access to it, then the only thing you're going to really be able to do is go in and say, hey, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Homeowner, you know, work with me. I'm going to do a great job and I'm going to sell your house for the most money, et cetera, et cetera. But if you have access to something like this, and whether it's through NAR, through your franchise, your broker, whoever, and you know that one of the things that you can put in front of them is, and if not, then I'll buy your house. Do you know what I mean? Right. All of a sudden, you're on the other side, you're a counterparty. And negotiating that, I think, is actually a little bit tricky. My judgment right now, I don't think the, the rules, you know, sort of the customs, the ethics, all of the things that surround the way that brokerage is practiced. It really hasn't contemplated something like this as the norm. You know, so it really is kind of that you're a fiduciary and yeah, you have to yeah. do what's in your client's best interest, et cetera, et cetera. And it's never really contemplated this notion of, yeah, but at the same time, you could be a counterparty, you know? And that's a problem that I think NAR, maybe well, the, the state DART, regulators, D- you know, DOJ and, and NFTC, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're going to have to talk about it. They're going to think about it. Like, how do we do that, you know? What guidance do we provide? I think probably like Redfin is probably the best company to talk to because they're the guys who sort of most clearly face this challenge. Well, I think it's not that they most clearly face it. It's that, you know, seeing Glenn speak, he has the most, no, I don't want to say moral thing, but he's just, you know, if I was an agent, I would never tell my client to take a lower offer now, right? But, you know, over time, he's kind of evolved and seen that, you know, some sellers want that. They need right. access to that capital quickly, right? So their whole ethos is a little bit in conflict with that type of dual agency role right. or you know, right. take an offer now kind of role. I don't know. I mean, because it is a service as well, though. You know? You're talking to a homeowner and they're like, yeah, we need to sell because I just got transferred. And you're doing your best job. Hey, I'm going to take care of you. We're going to do everything we can. The market's really hot, so it should, you know, whatever. We should be able to close in 30 days. The tricky word there is should. So, you know, as a fiduciary, as a really good realtor, as somebody who cares about your clients, if the client's main thing is that they just need to be out of there, they have a time limit or they have some other thing going on where they actually want the certainty and you have to be in a position to say, you know what, if that's really what's most important to you, certainty... You don't care about making the most money from your house. Like I said, you got transfer, you have medical issues, you've got whatever issue you've got going on in your life. And as a service, then I can bring this offer to you. Part of me feels like that might not be what you want that agent to do. It almost feels like maybe that agent needs to say, my company has this policy. My company Mm -hmm. has this division that can do this for you. And I will still represent you and try to get you the best offer from my own company. Like it's, it gets weird, right? right? I mean, it gets bizarre. So I don't know how that actually works. 
And I think that's going to be interesting. Yeah, a lot, a lot of times, I'm not even sure if it turned... Everybody talks about certainty, liquidity, and convenience. But as you mentioned, the quote from Jeremy Waxman, I mean, he talks about consumers that have been accustomed to pushing a button and having magic happen, right? right. It's just the way they yeah. grew up, right? It's, it's, it's so brilliant. It is, <laughs> when it is. Waxman said that, I was like, my God, Jeremy, you're so smart. Yeah, because it is exactly <laughs> that. They're just... The money, it's just, you know, it might have been more convenient for them to get off their ass and drive over to kind of, you know, McDonald's and get that thing and bring it back or, you know, go to the movie theater and buy tickets there instead of, you know, some convenience fee. But, you know, you look at right. those convenience fees, I mean, they could be 10, 11% of the purchase of the thing and, and they're paying it all day, man. Right, right. These are you not, know, you know, this is buying a house. Of course, everybody's going to say that's different. But you know what? I think as we get closer and these, kind of spread or the offer to buy things get smaller because everybody's getting smarter at this. It's just going to change, right? And people just got to accept that. I think it's going to change. And I think here's what's sort of interesting to think about. The notion right now, it's binary, meaning you work with a realtor, you put up with the inconvenience, you get the most money, or you sell to an iBuyer, you get the convenience and you get the certainty, but you take a lot less money. We kind of think of it in a binary way. Turns out, though, it seems to me there's actually a three-part in that the least convenient way where you get the absolute most money is to do a FISBO. If you do it yourself, right, no agent to help you, that's the least convenient, most time-consuming. And I know the realtor's going to say, yeah, but I'm going to get you more money than the commission, et cetera. But let's just say that there have been a lot of academic studies that say otherwise. So- you know, I think it's reasonable, especially in a hot seller's market. If you go FISBO, you probably end up with the most money with the greatest inconvenience. If you go iBuyer, you get the least money with the you know, most convenience. And then the question becomes, when is it good to be in the middle? Do you know what I mean? Like in any industry, when is it good to be, we're not quite as convenient as this way, and we're not quite as cheap as this other way, we're kind of in the middle. That's something to think about. This is not a binary thing. It's a three-way. There are three options. And the realtor option is the middle one where you have a level of inconvenience and you're paying 6%. You know, that's not cheap. 6% is not cheap. So that's something we might have yeah, to I actually like that, think the middle. about. I wish we could license that song and like, you know, play that on the it's instrument. It's stuck in the middle yeah. with you? Yeah. <laughs> middle. <laughs> Anyway, was it like that. clowns to the left of me or something? Jokers to the right? <laughs> well, that's another one. I was thinking about that new one from Zane, like, baby. I'm not saying the oh. goddamn thing. Go for it, man. Go for it. Let's, <laughs> no, let's actually turn this podcast into a musical that, podcast. That's, that's a very interesting way of looking at it, right? I mean, as you yeah. said, some agents would argue that the FISBO is still not going to give you top dollar because they don't have their realtor skills. It goes back to like, the thing we talked about before with you know CarMax, right? Yeah, I, right. I could have put my car on Craigslist and and hung around for people not to show up and blah blah blah. I right. probably go to a lot more, right. but man, I just drove down to CarMax. They gave me like a shitty offer, but it would right. be done in an hour. I'm like, fuck it, I'll right. take it. Right, I'm out because right. time is money. I think that's yep. another thing that you kind of don't hear that argument either. And maybe it's all factored into that, but you know, for a lot of people, I mean, I know for me with three kids, I own my own business and I guess that is convenience, right? But my time is worth more than what I'm going to get out of this, right? So- No doubt. Boom. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, do you mow your own lawn? Yeah, I know. Good point. 
right? You know, I mean, there are people who enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, do you mow your own lawn? A lot of times, it's like, look, it's not worth whatever. You know, say it costs me 50 bucks to have my lawn done. My hour or two hours I might spend on that, you know, I could make more than 50 bucks. Yes. There's that aspect of it as well. So I don't know. I mean, as a general matter, I don't think it's great to be stuck in the middle. And I think what we're going to end up seeing is likely a bifurcation of the brokerage business, you know, where you were going to end up with some class of agents, some group of brokers that, whether it's an iBuyer type of scenario, some sort of financial capital to the mix. And then you're going to have people who are going to get really, really cheap. You know, so it's like, you might as well use me instead of trying to do a FISBO because your time is worth right. something. And whatever I'm going to charge you is going to be worth it. They're not going to try and make the argument that we're going to get your top dollar and blah, blah, blah. Like that argument, I think is going to be a little weak. And I think we're going to end up bifurcating that way. And I think the middle does end up getting hollowed out. Problem is the middle is basically the entirety of the real estate brokerage industry today. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the fear. I think that's where brokers, agents, you know, MLS associates, everyone is so afraid because they kind of realize they're in the middle and they don't want to be in the middle. I think they're smart not to want to be in the middle. And the issue is how the hell do we get out of the middle, right? How do we get to either the next level of value, you know, where there's enough whatever value juice that you're bringing so consumers aren't going to bitch about paying you whatever, 10%. Or you need to be on the other side where you're so cheap that it's kind of like being a lawnmower, you know? <laughs> like you might as well use them because my time is worth something. Right. Not to say that realtors are like landscaping guys, no. but yeah. No. <laughs> so no, let's, that's not what I'm let's, saying. let's talk a little bit about the notion that I hear, and I think you've written about a little bit of when the market flips, right? This whole thing blows up. This whole iBuyer thing blows up. What's your thoughts on that? I think that's just a complete mistake. I think I went into this a little bit in the paper. The way I look at it is, it's not like all these iBuyer guys, you know, none of them are like your neighborhood house flipper. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. And I think that's part of the problem for the industry is we think of iBuyers the way that we thought of these, you know, investor house flipper guys back in, you know, the run up to the bubble, right? So it's these guys who just kind of go out and they go to some seminar and, you know, how you can make millions using somebody else's money or whatever. They go leverage themselves out, you know, out the ass, and they're barely, you know, hanging on. And the minute that the market turns, they're going to actually lose everything. You know, they're going to have to declare bankruptcy and all this stuff. I'm like, that's not these I buyers, you know, at least the well capitalized ones. I mean, I think I just read, because when I was like laid up in bed, I was listening to like the Zillow Q2 report. I think they said that they have something like one and a half billion dollars of capital, I think. We know that Open Door, you know, they've raised another three hundred and some odd million. You know, their value is like two billion. Offerpads raised hundreds of millions. You know, I mean, all these guys are extremely well capitalized. If they end up taking a ten percent hit on their price, all right, so you've lost ten percent. You're still in business. Yeah. You'll still be around. And then on the flip side, if the market turns, then they're just going to pay less, right? Because <laughs> now the sellers are more desperate. Now the whole value proposition is. It's not going to be, well, might as well list with a realtor because, damn, in 48 hours, I'm going to have nine offers. You know, now it's going to be list with a realtor and you might sit there for 60 days wondering where the showings are. At that point, man, like that offer, even if it's low ball, even if you think it's, wow, this is a lot less than I thought, but it's certain. 
right? You can move on. Yeah, and it's really a volume play for those guys. I mean, I think I read before where the numbers they were quoting, like let's say they get 5% of the market of the 5 million homes sold every year, which is about 250,000 homes, and they make 3,500 bucks. I mean, not a lot. Sure. But you times that sure. by 200. I mean, that's almost a billion dollars, right? <laughs> now, add into that the right. news that came out yesterday where, yeah. you know, again, what they're discovering and, you know, a lot of the bigger companies, I mean, this is a kind of Apple thing. They realize they got to kind of control as much of the process as possible, right? So, right. buying a mortgage company makes complete sense. You talk about Zillow's acquisition yeah. of mortgage lenders in yeah, America. out of uh, yeah. Kansas, right? Or Missouri, yeah. one of the two. <laughs> and yeah, out of Kansas. I always get that confused. So what does that add? I mean, you know, that's a oh my God. another revenue kind <laughs> of thing for them as far as organization, right? Revenue. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. So it's huge. It's so smart too, right? It's so huge. I know I just published it because I was like, I gotta react to this somehow. I haven't really thought through the whole Zillow news. Cause there's a lot that came out, you know, during the Q2 report. The mortgage lender thing. It's like Spencer, you know, and the crew. They've all read my posts about Open Door and <laughs> you know the platform and you know market maker system, and they're like, "Yeah, we can do that. Let's go buy a mortgage lender." You know, it's brilliant. That's all I could say. I mean, you know, seller financing out the ass, right? You know, really easy mortgage capture. And Spencer in the call because I just finished listening to it mentioned some numbers that were mind blowing, right? And the thing he mentioned is stuff like. You know, whatever we make X dollars, you know, per transaction for Zillow offers. I don't think he said exactly how much they make, but it wasn't very much. You know, he said it's a volume play. But mortgage, like MLOA, the mortgage company that they bought, for every mortgage they underwrite, they make something like nine or ten thousand right. dollars. You know, it's like even if we only do like ten thousand of these or something, whatever the number was, it's like that's sixty-seven million dollars a month. A month in revenue. Yeah, I was like, "Holy crap! Oh my god!" Those boys know what they're doing. I think uh, they're not making this huge shift without having thought it through. What's really sad, I suppose, is there are very few people that I feel like see that and understand what's going on. I read a tweet from Greg Fisher that said this: "It's like pretty much Zillow has shown their hand, right? <laughs> it's got to be no surprise to anybody now. I don't know if this is where they wanted to start off in the beginning, but." They certainly have shown an aptitude of like, of really being very smart about things, right? So where they're right. ending up here is pretty brilliant, and it's exactly the same analogy of like how Uber didn't want to be a taxi company, right? Right. They wanted to be a transportation logistics yeah. company, and they started with taxis. So yeah, it raises a really interesting future. And this was in the August, you know, report, you know, where I sort of kind of took that whole market maker thing to the next level. At what percentage? So this is a question for you. Mm-hmm. Right? right now, let's say only about two to three percent of home sellers want to sell to an institution. Therefore, only two to three percent of buyers want to buy from an institution. At what percentage does that start to become, you know, more of a norm? Right. Obviously, if it's over fifty percent, then it's the norm. I'm saying, at what point does it really start to change consumer behavior? Is it a twenty percent? In other words, just like trading in your car, the default for consumers would not be, let's call a realtor and list our home. The default would be, let's go see what Zillow or Open Door will pay for our house. And when it comes time to buy a house, the default is not, let's call a realtor and look for a house. The default is, 
let's go see what's for sale over at Zillow. Let's go see what's for sale at Open Door. Like, what is the percentage at which everything changes? What's the tip? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, anytime you talk about market share, I always go back to kind of a famous Steve Jobs quote about market percentages. And like, you know, he talked about how how BMW had 9% of the market, but still Mm -hmm. was a, you know, a very valid brand in the automotive space, right? So I don't think that market share is going to matter much. I mean, they can get a smaller share, but have all the profits as as they do with the iPhone and other things. So you're really talking about kind of a behavior, right? Consumer behavior Yeah, man. I mean, if I see anything or if technology has taught us anything, it's like, I remember seeing those graphs of like how many years it took to get to 50 million television sets, right? And then, and then how many you know seconds it took to get to 50 million followers or some you know I'm exaggerating, but you know there's those type of metrics that happen, right? It could happen fast. I mean, you know, I can't remember the last time I took a cab, right? So I was just thinking that man. I was just thinking about Uber. I think for them it was like when they hit like the top 50 markets, and that's only 50, dude. It was right. over with. I'm just trying to remember, like, because I didn't use Uber. I mean, I'd heard about it, but I felt like, oh, it's a San Francisco, yeah. New York thing. It was almost like a year or two years into Uber's existence when I started using Uber. And I'm trying to think, like, what was the consumer behavior change? Like, somebody told me about it, or I was with someone, right. you know, maybe at an inman or something, and you know, they whipped out their phone and called a car. I was like, what? <laughs> I got to do yeah. that. So I'm kind of like, what well, is you that? Know, that's that's very interesting because one of the things I talk to people about when they talk to me about this iBuyer stuff is, and you're exactly illustrating this better than I've said it, but it's like once their friends give them permission to do this, right? Meaning oh. once their friend sells a house, I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. it costs, you know, it wasn't as much as I would have got, but whatever. I want to get on with my life. Right. Boom. Yeah. Right. Once Boom. they get permission from their friends or, you know, their coworkers or whatever to start doing this process, again, game over. So here's an interesting segue from that. Doesn't that imply that actually the iBuyer should be focusing their efforts on high dollar markets instead See, of that, where they have been? That's you know, to me another thing that I think is a, a falsehood here. Just like when the market turns, it's going to go under. Is that I think, uh-huh. yeah, it started here in this more traditional, as you say, flipper kind of world, right? But again, right, once- right people start giving their friends permission that this is an okay thing to do, this is going to be everywhere, right? You know, so I think for sure, for sure, if they get that experience right, as Mr. Waxman said, consumers have become accustomed to pushing a button and having magic happens, right? Right. So everybody wants to know, oh, it's just for these kind of homes or it's just for those kind of homes. No, man. You know, and again, I'm not saying that there's always going to be as, there's going to be room for an experienced realtor to like, people want that. That's going to be part of the market forever, right? And I think still in this iBuyer stuff is what I'm working on is I still think there's a real room for traditional agents to participate, right? The market's way bigger than I think than anybody gives it credit for. You know, and I think we should probably do a whole episode, maybe with a guest or something. So let's say things go in that direction. What does an agent do? Like, what does a realtor do in that world? I theorized about it a little bit in my paper, but you know, never having been a realtor, like that would be something interesting to actually just get a guest on and and ask, like, look, if things go in this direction. But I do want to follow up on that just a couple minutes. Like, now that you say it, it occurs to me that the first iBuyer to do this in a high dollar neighborhood like Orange County, San Francisco, Seattle, right? 
And from that perspective, the fact that Zillow announced that they're going to do this in Denver mm. feels more significant than I thought. Look, if your family home is $250,000 and you're making 50 grand a year, leaving 10 grand on the table is really, really meaningful. Whereas if your home is $3 million and you make $600,000 a year, you know, leaving a hundred grand on the table may not be that big a thing. It's house money, it, literally. It's casino money. Right? They don't see that money. It's in the equity of their house. So it's not like they're writing right. a damn check. That's why the, like the, going- the lender processes away. All those fees are all financed anyway on the buyer side. Oh so God. they never see that anyway. So I think it's the same thing on the other side, right? They might get a smaller check, but there was no one check to compare it to. Not not just that, but you might get a smaller check, but you're already yeah. rich. You know, it's not like you need the money. Yeah, it's to a do different whatever. strategy. In other words, you're already right. rich. And and so you just yeah. need permission from your friends, like you said, to go do that. Yeah. And, and here's crap. the thing, and That's I, 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 I want to wrap up here, and I don't want to make it yeah. about what we're doing, but one of the things we're discovering with you know Cloud CMA, we're testing this thing called Investor Connect, where you know as mm-hmm. they create a CMA, it'll also come up with an offer. Or you know, it'll ask them if they want to request an offer to bring to them with the listing presentation, right? One of the things mm-hmm. we're discovering is that agents, you know, they don't know about this iBuyer. They're really only us in organized real estate kind of talk about this stuff, right? So sometimes what they're doing mm-hmm. is that they're expecting it. Oh, okay, so they're going to give me a cash offer for what I think the house is worth, right? They're not really understanding right. this is an investor offer. This is whatever. What we're right. working on is giving them the tools or the script, right? that really talks about how an agent can kind of pitch this or present this to those buyers or those sellers, I should say, right? You know, in the sense of like, hey, while this offer might be lower than putting the property in the market, this will eliminate the inconvenience, the time-consuming process Mm -hmm. of selling your home Mm -hmm. and give you instant liquidity to help you make easier to receive financing on your next home. So agents just have to learn. The industry just has to learn how to properly present this. And I think all these things, and again, that just opens and because you would see people that weren't even thinking of this, if presented to them properly, you'll see those numbers go up for sure. Oh, man. And that's the dream. I think it was Spencer. It might have been Sean Black, actually, from Knock, who said that. You know, they think, you know, why can't we get to 10 million transactions? Right. Right. You know, unlock some of these people who are just kind of sitting there. But it's a good first one from a long yeah, layoff, absolutely. man. <laughs> we don't want to go like two hours because God knows we could go two hours. <laughs> Just because we haven't talked. But then we'd have like seven different topics and our listeners be like, what the hell did you guys talk yeah, the about? The only thing I think is, is that we didn't really argue because they, they like it when you, we argue. But um, Let's make sure we pick a topic or we'll just get at each other. Right. <laughs> the next one. All right. <laughs> Thank you for uh, spending some of your time with us. I know it's been a while and we apologize. We're absolutely grateful for you guys just uh, giving us some of your attention, some of your time. Hope you missed us and our odd, bizarre take on things. And any last parting words, Mr. Robertson? Again, thank you so much. I've been hearing as I go to different shows and stuff, it's great to hear the feedback from everybody that they like the show. And, um, you know, they can always go to iTunes and give it a great rating. So please do that. That's right. That's right. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.